We're turning now to our gospel lesson this morning, and it comes from Luke's gospel, the sixth chapter. I'm going to be reading verses 20 through 31. You can find it on the screen above me if you want to follow along, or if you've brought a Bible, or if you have a phone or a tablet with an app and you want to follow along, feel free to do that as well. But Luke's gospel, the sixth chapter, beginning with verse 20 and continuing through verse 31. Hear now the word of the Lord. Then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven. For that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. But I say to you that, listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer them the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away, do not, if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask them for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today, and Lord, we thank you for this day that you've made. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather in this place, to hear your word, to sing your praises, to be gathered together with your people, to remember those saints who have gone on before us. And Lord, this morning as we gather together on this All Saints Day, we pray that, we pray that those examples that have been set for us, those who have walked this journey of faith before us, that those examples that have been set would indeed inspire us to serve you faithfully all the days of our lives. And so, Lord, over these next few moments, as we look at your word, as we talk about what it means to be blessed, I pray that you would open our eyes, that, you, that we would see, that you would unclog our ears, that we might hear, and that you would give us lives that are ready to go and live out whatever truth you reveal to the honor and glory of your name. So, Lord, I ask over these next few moments that you would speak through me, or I ask that you'd speak in spite of me. But I pray that regardless, your word would go forth, and that we, your people, would be changed because of it. It's in Christ's name and to his honor and glory we ask all these things. And together, all God's people said, amen. Well, as we've said, today is All Saints and All Souls Sunday. It's a day of remembrance, a day of reflection, a day for us to give thanksgiving for those who have finished their course in faith and have set that great example for us. And for us as a church, it's really a culmination of a week's worth of activities dating back to Halloween. For centuries, many Christians observed a short three-day season of the year known as All Hallowtide. And it would begin on All Hallows' Eve, which we now call Halloween. It would continue with All Hallows' Day, and then it would culminate with All Souls' Day. Now, All Hallows' Eve, many of you are acquainted with, we put on masks and dress up, and we go out, and our kids go trick-or-treating and get candy. But for centuries, that wasn't what happened. No, the church would gather together. They would hold vigil. They would enjoy or participate in a time of fasting. 
And then following that vigil, oftentimes families or individuals would head out to the cemetery, and they'd take along with them flowers and candies, and they would place them on the graves of those who were deceased. The day after Halloween, one author states, he says, the day after Halloween is all saints, so on Halloween what we do is we say to death, we are not afraid of you. And so for some of the earliest Christians, that's what they did. They placed flowers and candies on the tomb, kind of jeering at death. And then on the following day, on All Hallows or All Saints Day, they would again gather together, and this time they would honor, they would celebrate the saints and the martyrs, those who had given all for the cause of Christ, those who had sacrificed greatly so that the name of Christ could move forward. And Dr. Frost, who made that previous comment, notes, he says, on All Saints Day, we say, see, all these people, they weren't afraid of death either. Now they've gone on to receive their eternal reward. And so he says, we join with them in taunting the grave, just as the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, where, O death, is thy victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death, Paul writes, is sin. The power of sin is the law. But then he makes this statement, a statement that rings true on All Saints Day. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Because of him, we have nothing to fear, nothing to dread. And even those who have sacrificed greatly for the cause of Christ, they have now received their reward. And then the final day, All Souls Day, the final day of that tritium, it was a day set aside for remembering and to celebrate all those who were faithfully departed. Every single individual who had celebrated and finished their course in faith. Now, in recent times, All Saints and All Souls Day have often been lumped together. They're often celebrated on the 1st of November or on the first Sunday of November, just like we're doing here this morning. And that brings us to today's scripture, to Luke chapter 6. In our passage, if you notice, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's talking to 12 who have left all to follow him. And I'm sure they're not the only ones listening. There are probably others listening in from the hillside or maybe even from along the banks. But as Jesus is talking, he's, he's talking particularly to these 12 who have left all to follow him. They've left all behind. They've walked away from their fishing nets. They've walked away from their tax booths. They've given up their means of gainful employment so that they could follow Christ and participate in his work in this world. But not only that, they've left family behind. They've left their friends behind. The life that they knew, the life that they've always counted dear to them, that has been left behind so that they can follow Jesus as he does ministry throughout Galilee and Judea and Samaria. In other words, they've already sacrificed at this point very early in their journey. They've already sacrificed a great deal to follow Jesus. But there's more that's going to be asked of them as we've read over recent weeks throughout the latter part of Luke's gospel. They're going to endure things that they never could have imagined. There are going to be sleepless nights that they have to put up with. There are going to be nights where they don't have a roof over their head. There are times where they're going to be following Jesus and their bellies are going to be rumbling and full and they don't know where their next meal is going to come from. They would be despised. 
beasts would be rejected. They'd be treated poorly, and all of it would happen to them because of the cause and the sake of Christ. But almost all of them would persevere. Most of all of them would persevere, all except one, Judas, who would betray the Christ, who would turn his back on Jesus, and who would never finish his course in faith. Yet here in Luke 6, early in this journey of discipleship, as these folks have just left all to follow him, Jesus is clear that blessing will come to them, but that the blessings they are looking for may look different or feel different than the blessings that the world gives. Listen again to what he says. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the hungry. Blessed are those who weep now. I've heard some comment, that sounds like a lot of blessed frustration, if you ask me. Or that sounds like the type of blessed life that no one would really want. Or that sounds like a lot of blessed pain. And indeed, in the moment when you're experiencing these things that Jesus is talking about, when you're experiencing poverty and hunger and sorrow and grief, it doesn't always feel very blessed. In fact, it can often feel like the opposite. It can feel like a lot of pain, a lot of frustration. It can feel like you've been forsaken or maybe even cursed. At the least, maybe forgotten about. But here's the thing, that Greek word that's translated as blessed in our English Bibles is makarios. It means all those things that we think it means. It speaks of blessing. It speaks of happiness. It speaks of living a life that is envied by all. But here's the other thing that we may not always realize. Makarios comes from the root word in Greek, mak. And that word in mac, that word mac in the Greek means making long, making large. In other words, the benefits that we receive, the, the benefits that God bestows upon us in faith as we walk with him, as we cling to him when we're poor, when we're hungry, when we're, when we're thirsty, when we're experiencing sorrow and grief. Those things, those blessings, we may not see until we look at the larger context of our lives. Because maybe we don't see or experience them in that very moment, but over the course of our lives, we can see the blessings that God pours in, the grace and the mercy that he bestows upon us. When we begin to view things from that longer or larger perspective, it changes things. It changes things. It changes the way that we see things, the way that we understand things. It changes us as we walk in faith. And over these last few weeks, as I thought about that, as I thought about the, the larger perspective or the longer view that we must take, I thought about the implications of that, especially as it comes to our own journeys of grief, our own experiences of sorrow, possibly on this All Saints and All Souls Sunday. Because you know what? Sorrow and grief, especially when you're there in the middle of them, when you're in the thick of the sorrow, it can seem so overwhelming. Tears can be piled upon more tears, can't they? We've all been there. There are days sometimes when we're experiencing that sorrow and grief that is so profound that we don't want to get out of bed. There are times where we may not want to eat or, or sleep. There are times where we may experience anger. And again, in those moments, it doesn't necessarily feel very blessed. But today, as we think back over the names of those who have died this past year, as we think about those who have gone on before us in years prior, 
The question is, how do we acknowledge our grief and sorrow, but how do we also lean into that blessedness that Christ speaks of? How do we lean into the long-term, far-reaching benefits of walking with Christ in our lives by faith? How do we experience the lives and the testimonies of those who have gone before us in such a way that they spur us on to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ? Well, this morning, I want to offer up just a few suggestions. And the first is this, find practical ways to celebrate your loved one's life and testimony. For centuries, it was commonplace for people to gather together around fires because they needed to gather together around fires to stay warm. And it was also commonplace for them to gather together around a communal table and share meals together. And you know what? As they gathered around those fires and as they gathered around those communal tables, stories would be shared. Stories about grandfather or great-grandfather or great-grandmother or great-great-grandmother. Stories about the ancestors. Stories about those who had gone on before them. And those stories would shape and form in terms of identity. But they'd also offer formation in terms of who do I want to become? Who is God calling me to become? But you know what? Over recent years, we haven't really experienced the need for communal fires because, well, most of us have heaters of some sort in our home. We have other means of cooking our food, usually stovetops or cooktops, or, or we go out to eat, or in the busyness and the chaos of life, we don't even gather together so much around tables anymore. So we're missing times for those stories to be shared, for those legacies to be passed on, for those testimonies to be heard. And so I would encourage you, I would encourage you to, to find ways to celebrate those testimonies, to gather together and, and, and to share those legacies and, and those histories over the years. Because you'll find yourself inspired and challenged, growing and, and thinking back to some great memories that could give shape to what you're facing right now. And I think there's something biblical about it. It goes back to Ecclesiastes chapter 4 where it says two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and doesn't have someone to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will stay warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, but it's a cord of three strands. It's a cord of three strands that's not easily broken. You see, when we share our grief, when we share our sorrows with others, when we invite them to join us in that, and when we begin to tell those stories of those who have gone before, there's a measure of strength that gets imparted. There's, there's a measure of knowing I'm not in this alone, that I don't have to rely upon myself to get through this. There are God, there's God who's there for me, and there are others who care about me. And so find some practical ways to celebrate those stories. The second thing is remember the whole or the entire person. We're all imperfect people, amen? All of us make mistakes. All of us screw up. None of us is perfect. Every one of us is in need of God's grace. So as we remember our loved ones, it's okay to remember the good things about them, but it's also, it's also okay to remember the faults, the failures, the frustrations, the flaws. Because those were moments where God's grace could intervene, where his mercy could be, be meted out. It's also an opportunity for us to remember that we're not perfect. And while we want to have the best legacy possible, when our time comes, we're going to screw up. We're going to make mistakes. 
And we're equally in need of God's grace and forgiveness, as well as the grace and forgiveness of others. The third thing I'd suggest is, is do something holy. Light a candle. Light one or two. Light three candles. Light as many candles as you need to for all those that you're remembering. And I say that because for centuries, light and life were often, often considered to have this symbiotic relationship. And even though that person that you love has died, even though they've gone on before you, there's something about lighting a candle and remembering their life. And I think it goes back to that passage I read from Hebrews earlier. It's an opportunity for us to remember that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And though that remembrance, it can help us, it can help propel us forward in such a way that we cast off that sin that easily ensnares us. It's an opportunity for us to learn from the example of others and not repeat the same mistakes. It's an opportunity for us to remember all the good stories, all the, all the wonderful memories and how they've helped shape us and form us. So as you light a candle, consider it an opportunity to remember that person, that light, that life, and give thanks for them. But also use it as an opportunity to express your sorrow and your grief. And then fourth, do something that reminds you of your loved one. Bake their favorite cake or pie. Cook the favorite meal. Maybe gather together all the siblings and break out an old recipe, an old family recipe, and pass it along to the next generation. I know that there are certain things that when I do them, the memories come back to mind. And I, I golf maybe once or twice a year, but every time I go out and I swing that club, I can't help but remember my grandfather and the stories that he'd tell me as we were golfing together, but more importantly, the life lessons and the faith lessons he'd passed down to me. So find those sorts of things to do. And then maybe invite someone else into them. Maybe invite another family member or a friend to be part of that experience with you. And then finally, keep an eternal perspective. This great cloud of witnesses of which the writer of Hebrews speaks of, they're not just from recent years, they're not just from recent centuries. No, it goes back millennia. The eternal reward that we talk about, that wonderful promise that we have for those who believe, it's eternal, it's not finite. And that means there are those who have gone before us who are going to receive that reward. There are those who are inhabiting earth right now with us who are going to receive that reward. And there are those in the future who will receive that reward. And we're all going to be a part of that same great cloud. And we're all going to be in heaven together. And as we think about that, it helps us, I think, to keep an eternal perspective to remember that what we may be dealing with and going through right now is just a small bit of our overall life, but even more, the reality and the story that God is writing. So friends, on this All Saints and on this All Souls Day, may we fix our eyes on Jesus, just as the writer of Hebrews said, and may we be grateful for that cloud of witnesses, for those that we know who are a part of that cloud, for the impact that they've had upon our life, and may we move forward in faith, inspired by their lives and legacies to live for Christ so that he would be honored and glorified now and for all eternity. Amen and amen.